Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Uh, if you're not wearing green, good luck. Um, <laughs> what's the, uh, last night, Clay Lewis posted on my Facebook page this thing that said, you know, uh, on St. Patrick's Day, everyone is a little Irish, except the Scottish. They're still Scottish. Uh, so, you know, and in this day and age, when you can, I'm kind of a three-way English, Irish, Scottish, mostly Scottish, but you can identify as anything you want nowadays, so I'm Scottish. Um, but we're happy th- St. Patrick's Day to you. Um, you may not know this about me. You, uh, I don't know, maybe you've picked it up over the last three years. I, I have a little bit of an ornery streak. Um, I like to mess with people. Now, I don't like practical jokes I, because usually someone gets hurt or annoyed or their stuff gets broken. I don't like those. But it, I like to mess with people, and I like to just make their heads go, wait, what? What was that? And, you, and I would encourage you to do this. It's just fun. It's, just, it's all it is. It's just fun. But um, there are ways that you can do, you can mess with people's heads. Uh, and I want to show you some, some, just some fun ways to do that. Um, maybe in, in these days before it really warms up, it's kind of blah outside. This will be fun for you. Here's the first one. Um, clean out an empty mayonnaise jar, fill it with vanilla pudding, use the spoons to eat straight out of it in public. <laughs> Just feel. What is that guy doing? Okay. Here's another one. Staple papers in the middle of the page. Just when you, you know, hand someone a stapled pack, just right in the middle, just stick it right in the middle. You know, anyway. Um, you could finish all your sentences with the phrase in accordance with prophecy. <laughs> Weird guy. Um, I like this. You can do this today. Literally before you get home from church. All right. Just specify that your drive-through order is to go. <laughs> just something fun you can do. Um, th- this involves a little more work, but I think it's fun. Secretly learn to play piano, then go to a friend's house who's never, who has a piano. Claim you've never played before, then play Jesus, Joy of Man's Desiring Perfectly the first time, and then say, hmm, I thought that would be harder. <laughs> be awesome. Um, you, you could do this. Reply to everything someone says with the phrase, well, that's what you think. Yeah, that's why I said it. Okay. Um, now, this is also good. Follow a few yards behind uh, someone spraying everything they touch with a can of Lysol, <laughs> which most of the year is just obnoxious and annoying, but this time of year, as I hear all of you cough while we sing, it's probably a good idea, okay? Um, you could do this. Highlight irrelevant information in scientific papers and CC them to your boss in an email. Um, now, Chapel Rock staff, if you do that, I will read it, and I will ask a question, and you'll be graded, so just so you know. And then this is my all-time favorite. I love this. When someone says, have a nice day, reply with, thanks, but I have other plans. <laughs> what? Anyway, it's just fun. Now, there's no direct evidence that Jesus liked to mess with people's heads. Well, depending on how you understand some of his conversations with the Pharisees, maybe a little. I don't know. Um, There was one time, though, that I know, I know that Jesus yelled something into a crowd that was designed to draw a distinction in the crowd. He yelled something at a crowd of people, and it was designed to cause them to immediately faction off and split off into into groups. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, open them to Luke 8, 1 through 15. That's our text for today. I want to thank you for being here. For those of you who are watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate those of you who do that. If you're doing that because you're thinking about coming to Chapel Rock, I would encourage you to take the risk and do it. 
Uh, if, you're, if you're local to Indy, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, if you have any questions before you come, my email is all over our website. So you can just email me and, and we can dialogue that way. Um, we're grateful that you do that. For those of you here in the room, if you're kind of new around Chapel Rock and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to meet you. I'll be down front when we're, when we're done. Please come down and say hi. And if you have just started coming recently, we've got something coming up called Welcome to the Rock. It's next Sunday. It's after our 11 o'clock service. We'll serve you lunch. I'll chat for a little while about who we are as a church and what we feel God leading us to do. And you can, there's information in your bulletin about how to sign up for that. So I want to encourage you to do that. We're a few weeks into a sermon series right now uh, on how Jesus interacts with the crowd. This anonymous, kind of faceless group of people who follow Jesus around everywhere. Luke has a specific word that he uses for these people. It's the Greek word aklos. We've got this moment. We're going to look at a text today where Jesus is going to tell a story. And if you've been part of uh, a follower of Jesus, if you've been following the Lord for very long, you've heard this story before. This is a familiar passage. We, you, you probably could quote it to, back to me this morning. You've heard this story. But the way that Luke tells it is distinct. Luke has an emphasis in this story that I just don't think we see in Matthew and Mark. The passage we're going to look today is also in Matthew. It's Matthew 13. It's in Mark. It's in Mark chapter 4. And it's in Luke. All three of these Gospels uh, are are called the synoptics. S-Y-N, the Greek prefix for together. Optic, to see. So they they tend to view the same stories about Jesus. John is different. It was written much later, and he kind of has a different perspective. And so when you study a passage from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you should look and see if it's in the other two Gospels. The other, other two synoptics, okay? Um, and so it's interesting that, that they all tell this story, but they do it a little different, differently. I love this, this cartoon. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, see me after class. Your book reports are surprisingly similar. <laughs> you know, I love that. Uh, that's great. And, and there's, there's a lot of similarities here between the two, but Luke has a unique emphasis as he tells the story that I think is going to say something to us this morning, okay? Um, My study has convinced me that because of the way Luke tells the story, he's got a different emphasis than the other two. Most people, this is the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed. It just kind of depends on how you want to refer to it. You've probably heard this before. Most of the time we read it from Matthew in Matthew 13. Sometimes people will read it from Mark. And and, and it's also here in Luke. And, and the way that it's presented in Matthew and Mark is that the soil represents different people's lives. The, it, the soil represents different kinds of people. Okay? And that was Charles Spurgeon's view. Charles Spurgeon uh, was the great uh, 19th century British preacher. Uh, he said in a sermon on this text in 1860, my plan this morning will be very simply to address myself to the four classes of hearers that are to be found in my congregation. In studying this passage, I've come to the conclusion that I believe that even though they called this guy the prince of preachers, I think he let a little too much of Matthew and Mark bleed over into Luke. Because Matthew and Mark, that's the way they present it. The way they present this parable is that these four kinds of soils are four kinds of people. Luke does something different with it. Okay, Matthew's very focused on the sower. There's a lot of attention paid to the sower. Mark is very focused on the soil, the different kinds of people. Luke is focused on the way the soil responds to the seed. And yes, to, a, to an agricultural or, or, or gardening ear, that sounds backwards. I get it. But that's where Luke's focus is. 
The emphasis in Luke is on the way that the soil, a person's heart, responds to the seed, which is the message of the gospel. Here it's in the passage it's called the word. All right, I want you to look for that theme as we read the text together this morning. Look with me at Luke 8, verse 1. After this, uh, Jesus, by the way, that's the healing of Jairus' daughter that we talked about last week, or referenced last week. That's the this that he's talking about here, okay? Um, Jesus traveled about from town, one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Kudza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, let's pause right there. As Jesus goes about his ministry, he's, he's drawing in people uh, from all different kinds of backgrounds. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, well, excuse me, uh, you know, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, fishermen, you know, blue-collar guys, small business owners. Uh, Matthew, tax collector, government employee, um, you know, Judas, a revolutionary, uh, you know, and then he's, he's drawing in uh, these people here mentioned here. Mary Magdalene is a, a woman from a village, had seven demons cast out of her. And then you've got the wife of the king's personal valet, his, uh, you know, executive assistant, his personal servant. This woman, Joanna, think about this. Jesus is drawing people in from all different backgrounds and all different kinds of, uh, of social situations. And here you've got this woman who just had seven demons cast out of her, literally serving right alongside the wife of the king's personal servant, which means Jesus' message had penetrated even the palace. Think about this. You've got someone of wealth and position and power serving right alongside someone that our society would probably call mentally ill. That's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus does. Listen, the ground at the cross is level. And when you come to Jesus for salvation, you come fully acknowledging your need for him. And he just kind of levels the field. And you've got this woman of position and influence and power. Remember, what's the line from my big fat Greek wedding? The man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck. And the neck can turn the head. Um, so you've got this, this, and right next to this former demoniac. It's amazing. I love this. Let's keep going. Verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still others, or still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. So here's the aklos, right? Here's the crowd. It's, it's very large by this point. Jesus is, is nearing the height of his popularity. Uh, the passage we're going to look at next week was probably the, the peak. The, the language here indicates that this crowd is converging on Jesus. I mean, they're coming from every which direction, all around Galilee. They're all coming to hear him. And, and so he, he's, he begins to teach. <laughs> now, to our view, this doesn't sound like a very smart farmer, right? He, we, we, we would read this and we go, this guy's just chucking seed everywhere. Woo, woo, hey. <laughs> And we think, wow, man, he should be more strategic with where he puts that, right? 
No, not really. (laughs) The path that's referenced in the parable would have been little more than a footpath that cut through the field. You know, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. (laughs) And and I mean, we're talking, it's this wide. It's not like a road, okay? The the idea that he would, um, you know, sow seed and intentionally miss that. They're not like our modern, well, you could grow some crops in some of the potholes we have around here, but... um, (laughs) You know, we're, we're, this, the path is this wide, and it's inches away from good, tillable, actionable soil. So, so the idea, well, he shouldn't be sowing on the path. That's, that's dumb. No, it, it makes sense. And, and you would go, well, he shouldn't be throwing soil at, at, at rocky ground or sowing seed at, at rocky ground. To this day in Israel... There are places all over that land that look like good, tillable farmland, and three inches down, it's solid rock. You, you just don't know. Now, they've perfected over there, you know, drip irrigation, and they can grow stuff in three inches of soil. It's amazing. But, but you don't know. And, and they would sow first and then till. Well, they did it different than us. They'd, they'd sow the seed and then till the ground, Okay. And so, also then, we go, well, why does he throw it into thorny grounds? You know, in the parallel passage in Matthew that Luke would have had access to, Matthew 13, we also have the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Where, where remember the weeds grow, an enemy comes in and, and, and throws weeds in with the good crop, and it grows up, and, and you know, they, what do we do? And, and Jesus says, just let it, let it grow, and at harvest time, we'll separate them. And it's kind of a judgment parable. That's the same context as, as this passage in the parallel in Matthew. And I think you have to consider that here, where you, you know, Jesus is willing to give it a shot. If the harvest could potentially be a hundredfold, which was not a miraculous harvest, that can happen. That's biologically possible. If, if that's the harvest, let's give it a shot. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. <laughs> I, think, I think that you know, God's view of grace is bigger than ours. And here's what has really reshaped my understanding of this text, at least the way Luke tells it. Look at Luke 8, 8, the second half of that verse. When he said this, so he told the parable, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. See that phrase, called out? In telling his version of the story, Luke is the only one to use this specific word. The other, the, Matthew and Mark don't talk about it. The word that is used there is the intensive form of the word that means to speak loudly. So it already means to speak loud, and it's the intensive form. Jesus is using his megaphone voice here. He's yelling something out at the crowd. He's saying, hey, listen up. Pay attention to this. He wants people to hear because he wants them to evaluate whether or not their life is going to respond to the word of God. Okay? His disciples asked him what, he, what the parable meant, verse 9. He said, the knowledge of the secrets, that means a mystery that's been revealed, of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. He's quoting Isaiah 6, 9 there. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. 
The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. The word noble there probably, it doesn't mean like they're kings or anything. It means fitting. It means appropriate, that their, their heart is ready to respond to the message. A noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This quote from Isaiah 6-9, I think really reshapes our whole understanding of this parable. The point of the parable in Luke is, is not... Luke's point is not that you need to cultivate the soil of your heart, you know, so that the gospel can grow. Now, that's Matthew and Mark's take on it. Luke does something different. Luke's perspective here is that the seed is going to grow. It's going to have some effect no matter what. The point of the conditions here, the people's hearts determine who among the crowd is going to experience all the blessings and benefits of the gospel. You see, there's another quote from Isaiah that has really shaped my, my take on this. In Isaiah 55, verse 10, it says this. Uh, this is God speaking. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, that's kind of appropriate today, and do not return to, the earth without, do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So my word, uh, so it is, sorry, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, if you believe that passage and you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, you can't conclude that the soil has power over the seed. If the seed is the word and God's word does not return to him without accomplishing its purpose... Then, then I think this, this shapes the way Luke is looking at it, partly because he also quotes Isaiah just a few verses earlier. As long as the seed is left in the soil and not removed by an enemy, something will happen. The real issue is what? And so we look at the ways that you see, you know, through that parable, um, they respond differently, right? The, some hear it, but the enemy comes and takes it away. Others... It springs up quick and then kind of dies off. And others, it, 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 it's just stunted and doesn't grow, and then there's a real good crop. Luke is talking about the word of God here. He says the seed is the word. And he uses the, the, the word for word very flexibly. When John uses this same word, he tends to mean Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? It's the same word. Logos is the Greek word there. When, um, you know, other New Testament writers use the word, oftentimes they, they might mean the scriptures, the written word of God. Luke kind of just has a yes <laughs> there. What's it mean? Yep. All those things, right? It, it's, it, is it Jesus himself? Yeah. Is it the scriptures? Yes. Is it the message of the kingdom that Jesus is preaching? Yes. Is it the gospel that you can be saved, uh, you know, that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins? Eventually, yeah, that's how Luke is going to use it in Acts when he writes that book later. He uses it very, very flexibly here, and here's, here's the point of that. Jesus rarely ever interprets his own parables. He would throw that out there, and it was supposed to be like a, like a splinter in your mind. You know, you just kind of, just, you just chew on it. You'd be walking down the road, and you're walking down this path, and you might see a seed laying there and go, that's what he meant. 
Oh, it's really unusual for Jesus to interpret his own parable, but he does here, and it's a big deal. And remember, Luke is laying out that we've got to focus on the way that the soil responds to the seed and not the other way around. So because of the way Jesus, or because of the way Luke frames uh, this parable here, I think that that shapes the way we should understand it. The, the framework around it is you've got these women who supported Jesus' ministry. That, that, that God was using them as, as helpers and even leaders in that ministry. And, and very different in their lifestyle, and yet they're responding to who Jesus is and his mission. I think that shapes the way we, we view this, the way we should understand what Luke meant uh, in his version uh, of this parable from Jesus. It, it, that's really our big idea this morning. I want you to get this, okay? You may not, choose, you may not get to choose how every aspect of your life goes but you do get to decide how to respond to the Word of God. You can't choose how everything in your life goes. You can't choose who your parents were. You, you can't choose what, how other people are going to treat you. Now, you can do some things that may help to, you know, help them treat you better, but at the end of the day, they're, they're, you know, they have their own free will. But you can decide how you respond to the Word of God. For Luke, the meaning of the parable is pretty clear. The, the picture part of the parable involves the sower and the seed and the soils. These are all images that Luke's audience would have understood. They were much closer to an agrarian life uh, than certainly than we are. Uh, of all, in all three versions of the parable, uh, in Luke, the sower, believe it or not, is the least important. If you compare verse 11 with Mark 4.14 and Matthew 13.18, you're going to see they really emphasize the sower. <laughs> and in Luke, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. His emphasis is on the, the way the soil responds to the seed. This parable deals with the various responses of people toward God's word, this message of the kingdom, the good news about Jesus. Luke is warning his readers that they need to pay attention to how they respond to that message, that word. And unsurprisingly then, I think there are four responses that God is looking for from us, right? Four decisions that we need to make this morning. Here's the first one, number one, decide to care. You need to decide to care. The heart response is represented by the path or people whose spiritual condition is best described as apathetic. They just don't care. Spiritual truth just kind of bounces off. In Matthew and Mark, the message is, watch out for the enemy. <laughs> but in Luke, the message is, don't respond like the enemy. A little bit different. I think Luke is saying that we have to decide to care what the word says. I would, I would challenge you this way this morning. Some of you are here today because maybe you got dragged here. Maybe you feel obligated. Maybe you just had a rough week and feel like you need a shot of Jesus to fix you up. But at the end of the day, you may not care what you're hearing right now. Can I challenge you to decide to care what this says? Because it's pretty easy to go, yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> a few years ago, there was a, a new ringtone that came out that was really popular among people, especially age 18 and down, but really people into their early 20s were still using it. It was called the mosquito tone. Have you heard about this, anybody? Here's the deal. The human ear, as you age, you lose the ability to hear high frequencies. And, and, and the older you are, the worse that gets. And so there's this, there's this frequency where, where the human ear, after age 25, you can't hear anything over 16 kilohertz. You just can't. 
This was a ringtone. It sounded like a mosquito buzzing, but was pitched even higher. The highest note on a piano is four kilohertz, and the bigger the number is, the higher the note goes. This mosquito tone from your phone was 17 kilohertz. If you're over the age of 25, you can't hear that. I can't hear that tone, but my kids can. And kids were using this ringtone on their phone because they could hear it and their phone would go off and the adults around them, their teachers, their parents, they couldn't hear it. They didn't know that the kids were getting a text. (laughs) They're texting in class. Teacher can't even hear the thing. She's 26 years old, can't hear it. (laughs) How many of us have a mosquito tone applied to our hearts regarding this book? It just bounces off. I just, I don't care. You've got to decide to care. If you're going to respond in a way that would, that would please Jesus, I, church, I think what Luke is telling you this morning is you have to decide to care. There's another decision you need to make. You need to decide to get deep. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean. I'm not talking about sitting around in a smoking jacket with a pipe and a fat systematic theology in your lap, you know, that's, you know debating how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting down deep roots in your faith because if you don't decide to do that, it ain't going to happen. Listen to me. Listen, church. Nobody becomes mature in Jesus on accident. No one gets developed in their faith. No one becomes more and more increasingly Christ-like just, hey, it's Tuesday. You you have to be intentional about this. You have to decide to get deep. If you don't decide to do it, it ain't going to happen. See, there's this insidious thing called easy believism. That all you have to do is just kind of mentally acknowledge that this stuff is true and you're good for eternity. And Jesus is saying in this parable, if that's where you are, you will fall away. Now, there's, there's this whole doctrine that has grown up out of the Reformation, starting from uh, probably John Calvin on, that, that all you've got to do is mentally accept this stuff, and you're set, you're good, and nothing can ever change that. I don't see Jesus teaching that. He talks about falling away as if it's a definite possibility, like it can happen. <laughs> Someone once asked, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, Ah. Uh, no, not that guy. Uh, he didn't believe that at all. Um, <laughs> I do want to show you a quote from John MacArthur. He's like a nine-point Calvinist. I mean, he's like totally once saved, always saved. I don't see that what Jesus says, but even, even John MacArthur, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Let's go back to that, that quote. Thank you, guys. You could keep me on track here. <laughs> look, look at what he says. He says, let me put it to you simply. Joy is not the distinguishing feature of true salvation. Emotions don't tell you anything about spiritual reality. That's why it's wrong to give people a little formula to make them sure they're saved. You don't know that. You know, someone will say, if you prayed that prayer, you can know for sure you're saved. That's not true. Their tears of joy, exuberance, and exhilaration don't prove anything except they feel good about what they did. It doesn't mean that they did anything from a standpoint of reconciliation with God. Now, Brother MacArthur and I differ greatly on what Jesus means when he says, fall away here. Um, if, I, I can't remember the guy's name. He was a preacher in um, St. Louis. But he said, if, if that were impossible, if that could not happen, why are there so many warnings against it in the New Testament? He's got a point. L- listen, you, my, my whole point in this is you can't make Jesus an Instagram filter for your life. 
You can't just put a gloss of Jesus on your life and think that's cool. All right? For those of you who are a little bit older and have no idea what I mean when I say Instagram filter, all right? It's, uh, let me give you another example. Um, do you remember when Olin Mills would soften your family photos, right, back in the day, so that it looked like you were on a soap opera in the 70s? If you treat Jesus that way, just this superficial gloss on your life, it's not going to go the way you want. And you'll go okay for a while, and then hardship will come, and trouble will come, and you're like, I did not sign up for this. Jesus told you it's going to get hard. He promised it. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It will be hard, church. It's going to be tough. And the best way to decide to get deep is to be in some kind of small group. All right? At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what kind. A Sunday school class, a life group that meets during the week, a small accountability group where you meet for coffee with just two or three people and hold you. I don't care. I really don't care. Because at the end of the day, what matters is that you're part of a group of people who's, who's decided to put down roots in their faith. That's what will change you. And if you want to know how to do that, we can help you. We've got a class called Wired. It's coming up for a few, in a few weeks. The information's in your bulletin. You can sign up there. If, if you want to be part of a group, if you want to put down roots like Jesus says, we can help you do that. The third decision you need to make is to decide to reprioritize. Of the three inferior soils in this parable, the third one has always been the most tragic to me. This is the response of the person who believes, and they might actually produce a little spiritual fruit except that they're so distracted. They've accepted the gospel, but its priorities always get outvoted in favor of other stuff. There's no evidence in the parable that this person has fallen away. They just stunted. They're there, they're connected, but the, the, the thorns have grown, of, the, of worries and cares and troubles have grown up around them, and they don't produce fruit. You see the warning Jesus has here? They do not mature. Their, their, their life is choked out by worries and riches and pleasures. Socrates once asked, how can you call a man free when his pleasures rule over him? See, Luke is trying to get us to understand if we're going to experience everything that Jesus has for us, this abundant harvest that he mentions here, we've got to reorient our priorities around those of, uh, of the Lord. And he gives us these three areas, and it's a great way to evaluate your life, your, your worries, your riches, and your pleasures. <laughs> And a great way to evaluate this is to say, if Jesus were sitting here with me in the flesh, would I worry about that? If Jesus were sitting here with me in the flesh, would I buy that? If Jesus were sitting here with me in the flesh, would I enjoy that? And if the answer to those questions is no, it's probably time to reevaluate some stuff in your life. Ultimately, Jesus is trying to get you to this final decision where you decide to say yes. That's the last thing, to decide to say yes. This fourth soil has a totally unique response to the seed. It just says yes. Yes. The soil just says yes. Grow in me. Produce fruit in me. Help the world through me. Debbie and I have some friends who are missionaries, and they were at our, our, our kitchen one time, and we're just talking about how they made the decision to follow Christ and, and go to the, the mission field. And they said that when they began to feel God calling their life to do that, to, to become a missionary and, and to follow Jesus to another part of the world. They didn't know where God was going to call them, but they knew that that's what God wanted for them. 
And, and they, they used this phrase, and it, in the second it came out of their mouth, it locked into my head, and I've never forgotten it. It means so much to me. They said, we just decided to leave our yes on the table. Thank you. Thank you. That's what, to me, so much of discipleship is that. So much of following Jesus is just saying, the answer, Jesus, is yes. I'm just going to leave yes on the table, and I'm going to put no in the closet. Jesus, if you say so, the answer is yes. I don't have to understand. I don't have to, you say so, I trust you. The answer is yes. So my challenge for you today is to leave your yes on the table. For those who follow Jesus, when it comes to be ready, if you want to see God do some awesome stuff in your life, leave your yes on the table. Just say yes. Okay, Lord. Thursday, I did a real quick Facebook poll. I asked this question, what's one statement you could make you could yell to a crowd of people and instantly make them divide into different camps. About 15% of the answers were political. You know, Trump. Um, <laughs> another significant group had to do with supporting certain brands or teams, you know, Coke or Pepsi, Chevy or Ford, IU or Purdue. A few of them were about food, you know, you have the left Twix or the right one. Somebody goes, a hot dog is a sandwich. You know, Hawaiian pizza is good. You know, crazy stuff like that. Um, it was all in good fun, which was the intent. And even if Jesus occasionally said stuff just to kind of mess with the Pharisees, there was one day where he yelled this phrase out into the crowd, and his point was to get them to divide into different camps based on the way that they responded to the gospel. Listen, that's the big idea this morning. You don't get to choose how every aspect of your life goes, but you do get to decide how you respond to the word of God. How are you going to do that today? Maybe you need to decide to start caring. You need to decide to stop letting the word bounce off your heart and to really care that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again three days later so that you could have eternal life, so that the Holy Spirit could enter into you and God could wash away your sin and take away your guilt and put you in a right standing with him forever and you got the hope of heaven. And if you need to decide to start caring about that, do it today. In just a second, the band is going to come back out. We're going to sing together. And you're going to have an opportunity to come to the front and confess that Jesus is your Savior and Lord and be baptized. Maybe you need to decide to start caring. Maybe you need to decide to get deep and be part of a group. You've been attending for a while here at Chapel Rock, but you've never really gotten engaged. And the best way for you to do is just grab your bulletin and on your connection card, you just write on there. We'll get in touch with you this week. Sign up for Welcome to the Rock, or Wired rather, and we're going to work you through that. Maybe you've got some things to reprioritize and you want to go talk to somebody in the next step room or, or have someone pray with you. Be, our decision counselors will be down front. I don't know how God is moving in your heart today. Maybe you just need to decide to say yes. Okay, I want to serve. I want to be involved here. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing together. And you respond as God leads you today. Let's sing.
Thank you for bringing us together today. We're grateful for um, the opportunity we have to gather, the freedom that we have, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who meet in secret or in fear of their authorities. Give them strength, God. Give them courage. Help us use our freedoms to their maximum uh, capability. Thank you, God, for this word from the Lord today. Help us respond rightly to your word. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.